Welcome back to MLEX's weekly podcast covering the top international regulatory stories of the week. I'm James Paniki from MLEX's Asia-Pacific team. It's great to have your company again. This week, why Illumina's proposed 7.1 billion US dollar acquisition of cancer diagnostic startup Grail has found itself in choppy waters of late. On March the 30th, the US Federal Trade Commission challenged the deal with the FTC suggesting that Illumina would have both the incentive and the ability to disadvantage Grail's competitors by denying them access to Illumina's essential next-generation sequencing technology. It's a fascinating case which takes in the challenges of vertical mergers and also tells us something about what regulators see as the growing threat of so-called killer acquisitions – MLEX's M&A team has been following the deal with great interest. Flavia Fortis is MLEX's global head of mergers, and she joins me now from Rome in Italy. Curtis Eichelberger covers mergers and acquisitions from Washington, D.C., and he's also on the line right now. Uh, Flavia, starting from you, tell me something about why this case is indeed unique. Hi, James. Uh, Thanks for having me. Certainly. So this is an important case because it's the first time in decades that the FTC is challenging a vertical transaction in court. It's the first case under the Biden administration and the acting FTC chair, Rebecca Slaughter. And it's also the first challenge in court uh, under the newly issued vertical merger guidelines. So there's a lot of firsts here. This is also a a case where the complaint alleges uh, uh, non-price harms, particularly innovation, uh, which makes it unique because most merger cases, the primary concern uh, here is with uh, the merger impact on price. Uh, To clarify, a vertical merger is a transaction uh, between companies that are in different stages of the supply chain. So there have been cases before where there are vertical concerns, but normally in addition to horizontal concerns, which is when we're talking about companies that compete in the same line of business, they compete head to head. But a challenge is solely on vertical concerns uh, that gets litigated is rare. There have been cases where there was challenges by the FTC, uh, vertical deals that were challenged, but they, they the parties abandoned the deal after the, the complaint. So um, most recently in the Biden administration, we had the Tronox uh, proposed acquisition of Tysier, Titanium and Iron Business from Aramat. So the companies announced that they were abandoning the transaction and, and the FTC closed its investigation afterwards. Uh, we had only one case before then uh, there was a vertical challenge that the courts reviewed, which is the, the Department of Justice case AT&T and Time Warner. The agency lost in court uh, for that case, both at the district court and on appeal. In uh, that case, it, we can't really count it on it to be a precedent for vertical deals because the, the deceased circuit didn't really articulate on, on the proper legal standards for vertical cases. So it, it said that it wouldn't go into that because neither party alleged there was an error with, with, the, with the standard applying a district court. So it didn't, didn't really specify the legal standards for vertical deals. So this deal is certainly an opportunity for the FTC to set a better precedent for vertical mergers, but it's also a challenge because of the lack of parameters for, for these types of cases. Um, so Illumina is, is fighting uh, this challenge. It, it's saying it's, it's a marked departure from a longstanding uh, antitrust precedent. The, the FTC filed a restraining order uh, and a preliminary injunction against the case uh, in D.C., in the District of Columbia. But uh, the companies are seeking to move uh, the case to Southern District of California, where both companies are based 
and, and many of the witnesses are also located. Uh, so there's certainly a lot of uncertainty with this deal, uh, uh, how it will be revealed in court. And it's also relevant because it's the first case under Biden and Slaughter uh, because there has been a strong push for aggressive enforcement. Uh, and, and Slaughter says promise particularly to, to be more aggressive in tech and the pharma sectors. Last month, the US, Europe, UK and Canada announced a new transatlantic working group for mergers in the pharmaceutical uh, sector to review their approach to to, uh, pharma deals. And the FTC said it intended to take a more aggressive approach, uh, as you've just mentioned now. So what does that imply? Yeah, that's right. So, so she's uh, advocating for um, a more aggressive approach and, and to take concrete and actionable steps uh, to, towards particularly farmer deals. She said that there's a deterrence problem at the FTC. So, so she's saying that she's, they're analyzing a lot of deals uh, where the metrics that they're looking, they're not as quantifiable as price. So, so there's a lot of questions uh, with innovation, particularly. And uh, in, in Illumina Grail complaint, wh- while they mentioned price, uh, the, the complaint's very much focused on innovation and quality concerns. And if you look historically, merger challenges primarily focus on, on whether it will result in higher prices. Uh, but with this case, the agency is showing us that they're also more concerned uh, with non-price harms, such as an innovation in, in quality. Um, I also have just two curiosities for this case, uh, which is the, the, the second case of the FTC blocked involve, a deal involving Illumina. So it's, it's the second challenge in, in the last 18 months against Illumina. Uh, the, the FTC and the UK Competition Authority sought to block Illumina's proposed acquisition of Pacific Bioscience in 2019. Uh, so that transaction was ultimately abandoned. And, and another uh, second curiosity here is that Illumina actually founded Grail in 2015. It decided a couple of years later to sell, uh, to reduce its stake, to sell some stake on the company and, and, it, and, and to, to be below 20% of the voting interest. So, so right now it only has 14.5% of Grail voting shares. Uh, and so because Illumina no longer controls uh, any interest in Grail, the FTC is looking at this acquisition as a transaction between two separate companies. Mm. All right. Look, Curtis, this might be a good time to bring you into the conversation. Can you tell us something about the FTC's arguments in this case and why the FTC thinks that the merger is illegal? Sure, James. So Illumina is the world's dominant gene sequencer, with 90% of the global market. Now, what's a gene sequencer? It breaks down the coding of your DNA, and this allows doctors to determine if a gene contains mutations linked to a disorder, in this case, for cancer. So Illumina is without a doubt a monopolist, but like Apple and a handful of other great companies, it got that way by being innovative, by driving down prices, by making itself available to researchers around the world. If you talk to researchers, they love this company, but, Anyone who wants to develop their own early stage blood cancer test like Grail, they need to use uh, Illumina's gene sequencers. And that's really important. So the FTC is concerned that Illumina could raise prices for competing test developers to make their products more expensive than Grail's. They say they could deny important technical assistance or proprietary information that's needed to get FDA approval or design a commercially successful test. Or they could refuse to to delay a license agreement required to sell in vitro diagnostic versions of the test. The FTC also says the deal can't be fixed, and this is important, and we're gonna discuss this a little bit later. The FTC says 
any supply agreements that Illumina and Grail's competitors come up with to fix harms won't work. They say an agreement signed today cannot account for all the ways Illumina can disadvantage Grail's rivals in the future. We don't know what science is going to produce, and this is, this is going to be key in this case. And they also argue that this is a new technology that can save 100,000 people a year. Imagine it. We're all going to want a similar blood test if it can uh, identify cancers in the earliest stages before we even have symptoms. And it's going to generate tens of billions of dollars within the next decade. Both antitrust agencies, the FTC and the DOJ, are concerned about big platforms buying small, innovative companies in their infancy. In this case, Grail's not even in the market. There are no market shares yet, just yet. This is, if you want to talk about a, a company in its infancy, this is it. Mm. And we should specify that the, t- the terminology that, that is usually embraced here is a killer acquisition. Does this come under the, the, the rubric of killer acquisitions? Yes, it does. The concern is that Illumina buys this very early stage company and it snuffs out all the competition for it before it can take, take root. And then financially it benefits. Right now, there's no incentive to do that. Once the companies are merged, then you have an incentive for Illumina to snuff out competition, to raise prices, to make Grail's product cheaper than its competitors. It's all about the incentives, James. Mm. Now, Illumina has said it will fight the FTC in court uh, and it has uh, responded by offering to make a series of supply commitments to existing and potential new customers if the merger closes. Now, we've talked on this podcast before about the FTC and DOJ's scepticism when it comes to behavioural remedies. Is that likely to be the case this time round as well, Curtis? I mean, what is the significance, I suppose, of this offer? Yeah, it, it certainly is. So the FTC wasn't interested in discussing remedies with the company at all. Uh, the company tried several times to bring this up to talk about behavioral remedies. It was just shut down. So what they did was, after the suit was filed, Illumina Grail made an offer directly to Grail's competitors. It's, it's sort of an end around, right? They're trying to remedy it themselves without the government. So they offered a series of commitments that included a 12-year supply contract for sequencing products and support services and a guarantee that it, would dis- it wouldn't uh, discontinue any of the sequencing products supplied under the offer. There's a, a guarantee of a no-price increase. So they're trying to remedy it themselves outside of the government. Now, this is what's known as litigating the fix. It's where the companies go to court and try and give the judge an opportunity to approve a deal, not as originally proposed, but as supplemented by the company's contract. So what you want to do is you want to say, hey, judge, look, this, this lawsuit, totally not needed. we got a solution here, and if you just listen to our solution, you can pass this through, and it'll solve all the problems. Now, AT&T and Time Warner did something very similar in 2018. In that case, AT&T, a distributor of programming, was combining with Time Warner, which made programming. So it's a, it's a vertical deal. It's one company in the supply chain buying another company in the supply chain. One of the government's complaints in that deal was that by combining AT&T's direct TV as a paid TV service with Time Warner's popular programs, the combined company, the DOJ argued at the time, could harm other paid TV providers like Dish by increasing the price of Time Warner programs. So in response to the DOJ lawsuit, Time Warner offered third-party distributors licensing terms that for seven years after close would entitle them to arbitration if they couldn't reach an agreement. There was a no, uh, no blackout uh, element to it, so they couldn't go dark during the arbitration process. What's important is that the arbitration offer was assessed throughout the trial. Customers weighed in on it. It was talked about every day. The judge asked questions. 
point I make is a big deal. The point I'm making is that this isn't going to go away. In Illumina Grail, they've offered a similar end around, and we're going to hear about this over and over. And are the prospects of litigating the fix, as you describe it, uh, are the prospects good? I mean, are judges likely to be uh, favourable to that kind of an approach? Well, DOJ lost the trial in the district and again on appeal, right? And the circuit court noted that the DOJ hadn't accounted for the arbitration offer. So in other words, the economists didn't even take that into consideration. And that would have affected their analysis, right? And so then at the circuit level on the, on the appeal, that didn't go unnoticed. And they acknowledged that the government hadn't considered this. So what you're, what you're sure to hear is this. If, if customers come through and say, hey, you know what? This fix you've offered, this is a pretty good deal. We're going to take that. The FTC's case could be in trouble. But if nobody takes that case, then you're going to hear the government say, hey, this is such a great deal. Where are all the takers? That's got to come up in court, right? So you're going to see this. This is going to come up again and again. It's going to be a part of this case, just like it was AT&T, Time Warner. Will it be a deciding factor? Who knows? But we're going to, we're going to hear about this again. Mm. Okay, now, Flavia, this is the first case under the new vertical merger guidelines. Will that affect the litigation at any level? Yeah, so it's an interesting question because uh, acting FTC chair actually voted against issuing the vertical merger guidelines. uh, And she said that the FTC should consider withdrawing it and, and, and potentially replacing it. Uh, they were just issued last June, and, and she said that the, the guidelines took a too favorable view of vertical mergers and, and did not address the potential concerns from such harms. Uh, but a senior official of the FTC uh, has said that unless the, the vert- vertical merger guidelines are redrawn, replaced, uh, they remain the commission's guidance on, on how to analyze those, those deals. So uh, until they're in place, that's the, the agency operative framework. So I believe that that also could be the position of the court as well. All right. Now, what do you both think about the impact of the decision on vertical deals that are currently pending? Maybe, Curtis, we can start from you. Yeah, I think it depends on whether this is a one-off deal where the FTC saw the harms as being greater than the benefits in Illumina Grail, or if this is a signal of something much broader, if there's a a broader change with the, the Democratic majority coming in with the, the aggressive talk we've heard about uh, being more aggressive on verticals on Slaughter saying, you know, she has some skepticism over some of the arguments and the benefits of, you know, the elimination of double marginalization and the efficiency. She's mentioned that in the past. So I think what we don't know right now, is this a, is this a one-off deal or is this a sea change? You know, one of the deals that's a similar vertical we're seeing now is Lockheed Aerojet. Lockheed's a big defense contractor. Uh, Aerojet makes solid rocket boosters. It also makes uh, DAX, which helps helps aim a missile when it's trying to hit another missile. So it's it's an important part. It's in the supply chain. It's a vertical deal. Uh, you're going to see similar concerns. Uh, foreclosure, um, would they increase the prices? It's it's the same same sort of concerns you heard with Illumina. And again, it kind of goes back to: is the Illumina thing a one-off, or are we going to see similar claims in Lockheed? Uh, Aerojet. And we don't know this yet. We need to wait and see how this unfolds. Yeah, no, I, I agree with Curtis. I think more generally, uh, more aggressive enforcement and, and the agency showing that it's taking a closer look at, at vertical deals is definitely at least a yellow light to, to pending deals. And we have a, a really large transaction between NVIDIA and ARM. 
uh, and to also new potential vertical deals, uh, in, in particular in the tech and the pharma sectors where they said that they're going to be more aggressive. So uh, companies will have definitely have to watch for that. And uh, as we talked about remedies earlier. The acting chair uh, has expressly said that she has a preference for structural remedies and that the threshold for accepting remedies in general uh, should be very high. Uh, so she said that the remedies are difficult to monitor, difficult to enforce. So unless, um, you know, the, if, if the agency can implement those remedies, they, they will instead litigate. And, and that's exactly uh, what she's doing here. Uh, if, if, uh, FTC staff, we have, you know, heard from them that the acting chair recognizes that historically the agency hasn't litigated many vertical mergers, but she's pushing for more aggressive uh, enforcement in, in, uh, in vertical mergers. Mm. And, uh, of course, Flavia, there's also another hurdle for the deal in Europe where uh, certain countries have referred the review of the transaction to the European Commission, which, of course, they're entitled to do. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, no, that's right. The, the deal there didn't meet the threshold for review uh, by the European Commission or the national authority. So, so the issue there is that Grail has yet to bring a product to the market and, and has no sales in EU. Uh, so the, the deal will be a task for the European Commission's new policy that a national competition authority can refer a merger for EU review despite itself not having jurisdiction to review it. So, so this is unique because even if they don't have jurisdictions, they, they can call the case and then refer it to the European Commission. Uh, that's exactly what the French and the D Dutch authorities have uh, done in this case. They re referred to the to the EC and uh, Illumina challenged the, this uh, referral in court and, and it lost in, in both legal actions. So it's a very important discussion because if national competition authorities can refer a deal to the commission, even if they wouldn't qualify for a national review, that will significantly uh, reinforce the, 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 the EC's uh, block ability to scrutinize uh, mergers and acquisitions. Uh, so the referral will catch non-unifiable deals. Uh, uh, it's, it's really the centerpiece of the European Commission's new policy and, and to catch killer acquisitions. Uh, but critics say that the, this new policy will increase the unpredictability of deals right, in, in, in the EU, uh, especially for transactions um, involving nascent competitors or innovators that uh, have little or no turnover um, at the time of the transaction. All right, Flavia and Curtis, thank you so much for following these deals for us. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. Thank you, Zane. And that was Curtis Heichelberger, an MLEX reporter covering mergers from the US. Flavia Fortes is MLEX's global head of mergers, and she was joining us from Italy. And we'll post some links to the M&A team's recent analysis of the Illumina Grail deal. There's plenty for readers to get stuck into. Our website is mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X, marketinsight.com. Just click on the News Hub tab for the very latest from our team of reporters around the globe. And of course, subscribers have the entire Illumina Grail portfolio of reporting and analysis at their disposal. As for this podcast, well, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and Stitcher. If regulatory affairs are your jam, please leave a review and let us know what you think of the podcast. And that's it for today. We'll be back in your feed next Friday at more or less the same time. I hope you can join us then. I'm James Paniki, Asia-Pacific Senior Editor. And from everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thank you for your company. I'll see you soon. Bye for now. Bye for now.